Uh, good morning. Um, before we read the scripture, I just want to make, a, make you aware of a couple of quick things. We're continuing to collect for the school drive for Parkview Elementary School. I spoke with one of their counselors just this week, and they're really excited about uh, the ways we've been blessing them and uh, looking forward to partnering with us. So if you have school supplies, I'd encourage you to, to bring them. We're collecting them till the end of this month. And then also, next Sunday morning, uh, we are going to have an interest meeting about starting another Sunday school. Um, we've heard the there's a lot of interest, perhaps, in offering something else for people. Um, and so uh, 9.15 in the fellowship hall, we're just going to gather. We'll also have that available online if you want to participate by Zoom. And we're going to present a couple of different options, hear what people are interested in, and hopefully we'll start another Sunday school class. And that class will be in person and online for people who want to attend it that way. So um, now I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Our sermon text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20, and it's verses 1 through 12. Our sermon passage is verse 12, but we're going to read the, the whole of the Ten Commandments in hopes that you might be memorizing them on the way to completion. So here we go. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In our text for this morning, honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, when we study... The Ten Commandments, we have to resist the urge to minimize these commands. That was the chief sin of the religious people in Jesus' day. If you remember, if you've read the gospel accounts before, uh, there were these teachers of the law who were always trying to make the Ten Commandments into something that you could reasonably do, a list of things that you could check off. And if we're not careful, we can all fall into that exact same trap. We can get to this place where we think of the Ten Commandments as an easy test to pass. The Fifth Commandment, we say, well, I was a a pretty good kid. I didn't give my parents too hard of a time, so, all right, I'm all set with this one. I've done all the things. I'm, I'm probably in the clear. God should approve. I think I'm safe. But Jesus, he blew away 
any chance of us believing that's how we should read the Ten Commandments. He did that when he preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he took some of these laws and he showed us, he unpacked them to show us what they really meant. He said things like, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus, he took these laws, he unpacked them, and he showed us what they really meant. He showed us the full force, the full weight of this law. He forced us to realize that the law is not intended to affirm our goodness, but it's meant to expose our sin. It's meant to show us, in fact, that we aren't safe. We need a Savior. And so this morning, as we look at the fifth commandment, we're going to try and follow in Jesus' footsteps to unpack this thing. I want us to look closely at this commandment, and as we do, we're going to find out that this is not just about kids and their parents, but what this commandment is truly about is power. It's about power. How we respond to those who are in power over us and how we use the power that we have. And of course, ultimately, this command is about Christ. So this morning, we're going to ask three questions, and hopefully that will help us understand what we've got here. The first question is, what does this command say about our response to power over us? The second is, what does this command imply about the way we use our own power? And then finally, how does Christ redeem our interaction with power. Okay, so as I start to unpack this stuff, as we start to think about the subject of power and authority, I actually want to make a quick clarification here at the top. God, of course, is our ultimate authority. And if we're going to talk about how we honor the people who are over us, we need to begin with the knowledge that God is at the top and that God is never going to require us, for instance, to sin, to obey this commandment. Now, unfortunately, in this world, we've got wicked parents sometimes. We have evil leaders in this world. There are people in authority who might try to command us to do things that God actually says don't do. And in those situations, the way we honor those in authority best, is by obeying God. And that may mean exposing the sin of someone who is abusing us. It might be standing up to unjust laws, like we see with, in the book of Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Refusing to bow down to the idols, even though the emperor said that's what they should do. So, at the outset, please understand that our first obligation is always to God himself. And with that, let's talk about how do we respond to the power that's above us? And let's, let's dive in by looking first at the most basic level. Let's talk about our parents. Actually, first, let me talk to the kids. Kids, are you in here? All right, pay attention to me for just a second. I know, look up. Uh, <laughs> this command applies to you guys first. And I think that's pretty cool, actually, that, that God, when he is speaking from the mountaintop, He's not talking for a long time, and one of the things at the forefront of his mind was you all. He had a command for the children. He had a commandment for you. And he said, you should honor your father and your mother. 
Now, it may not seem like it all the time, but your mom and dad, they want what is good for you. You know, I'd even go so far, I would say that our deepest desire is to see you grow up into godly men and women. Right? We don't, that means we don't just want you to follow rules, but we want you to be wise. We want you to know how much Jesus loves you so that when you're out of our homes, when you're living on your own, you can make decisions for yourself. And I know also, sometimes maybe your parents seem a little crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> but God, he has given you your parents because they're meant to guide you in the world. Parents aren't perfect. Amen. We make a lot of mistakes. But our goal is to help you thrive. So kids, think about it like this. In some ways, growing up is like putting together the pieces of a puzzle. And as you grow up, you get these different pieces. You get a piece of, of knowledge here. You get a piece of life experience here. And you're trying to put this puzzle together that's going to show you what it means to be an adult. But it's a lot easier to put together a puzzle when you have that picture that's on the top of the box, right? It's a lot easier when you know what you're trying to build. And, and that's the role we're trying to play as your parents. See, we've already been through some of this stuff. We've seen the picture that's on the top of the box. And so sometimes when we're helping you piece that together, we're going to tell you, don't do this. Things that you think might be a good idea. But we really hope that when you get there, you're going to be able to look back and see that sometimes we actually did know what we were talking about. See, honoring your parents when you're a kid, it means listening to your parents. It means respecting your parents. And it also means praying for us as we're trying to care for you the best we can. So that's for you kids. Now let's talk about the adults in the room. What do we do? What are, what's our obligation to parents? So the goal of parenting, we just talked about it, it is to form adults who can go out into the world and function on their own. And so that means at some point, hopefully, we're going to come to the moment where our relationship with our parents has to change. God said that even in Genesis chapter 2 when he's talking about marriage he says that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and become the two shall become one flesh so God has an expectation that there is this point in adulthood when we start to relate differently to our parents that's important it's important also when we look at this command to notice it says, it doesn't say honor, it doesn't say obey your father and mother. It actually says honor your father and mother. And that means as adults, we are obligated to treat our parents in a dignified way. But that doesn't mean we're required to, for instance, take every piece of advice they give. Or follow all of their instructions just like we did when we were small children. And we already mentioned this, but we got to also recognize that I know some of you out there had terrible parents. And, and for some of you, unfortunately, perhaps the people who did the most damage in your life were your parents. 
And if that's your story, then the commandment to honor your father and mother might actually mean just creating clear boundaries, getting counseling so that you can live a healthy life as an adult. So those are some quick things, some quick instructions about what it means to honor our parents. But like we said, this commandment actually goes way beyond our literal parents. The Westminster Larger Catechism says uh, that our father and mother in this commandment refers not just to our parents, but to everyone who is older or more talented than we are, and specifically to those whom God has ordained to be over us in positions of authority, whether in our family, the church, or civil government. In the world, we have a lot of fathers and mothers. We have bosses, some of us. We have teachers. We have mentors. We have landlords. We have homeowners associations. We have law enforcement officials. And, of course, we've got political leaders. And at the heart of it, what this commandment is telling us is that while our parents are this core unit of authority in our lives, our relationship with them is a model of the way that we're supposed to respond to all God-given authority. And since that's the case, let me throw some more of this Westminster at you. The Westminster says, here's what we should do, how we should relate to those who are in authority. It says, we pray and we give thanks for them. We emulate their virtues and gifts. We willingly heed and obey their lawful commandments and advice. We submit to their correction. We defend and support their persons and authority. And we must also tolerate their imperfections and infirmities and cover them with love so that we will be an honor to them and their authority. Now that is convicting. If you get to go back and, and read that outside of this service, every word of that paragraph is convicting. But what hits me the hardest is that last little bit about overlooking the flaws of our leaders. How hard is that? It's one thing for us to honor the leaders that we generally like. That's no problem. In fact, if I like you enough, I might even get a bumper sticker with your name on it and put it on my car. But what about those leaders we don't like? The ones we disagree with? I know that in my own heart, when I, when I disagree with decisions that are being made or when I disapprove of someone's tone or their character, it takes me no time to become a bratty teenager complaining, treating their authority like it is a mistake to be remedied rather than something that God has ordained for my good and his glory. Can you relate to that? But we also need to remember here that there is a promise attached to this commandment. It says, honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now that's not a promise that good boys and girls live till they're really old. 
That's actually God telling us that our response to authority, starting in our families, but flowing out through all of society, is at the core of our successful life together as a community. And I wonder, as we look around at our world today, and we see how divided we are, how we can't seem to be unified on one simple thing, I wonder how much different life would be if we learned to keep this commandment. If we started to respond to the people in power over us, not with critique first, but with prayer. Instead of focusing on their shortcomings to identify their virtues and try to emulate those. And when we find those imperfections, like the confession said, to cover them with our love instead of our judgment and our scorn. Sounds like a good idea, right? Well, make no mistake about it, God doesn't just say this is a good idea. He says this is a commandment. God doesn't just recommend we do that. He commands that we do that. That we are told to respond to the power over us with honor. That's the first point. The next question is, what does this commandment imply about how we use power? So we respond to the power over us with honor. What do we do about the power we have. Okay, there's one word I want you to keep in your mind for this section of the sermon, and that word is steward. Steward. Everybody say that. Steward. steward. Okay, now, you're uh, probably familiar with Lord of the Rings, right? Do you remember the guy who was in charge of the big city of Gondor? If you, if you saw the movie, he had that gross meal where he's, like, eating the bird bones. That's so nasty. Anyway, <laughs> that guy... His name is, he's the steward of Gondor. Remember, he sits on a chair at the bottom of this big throne. The point is that he is in charge of the place, but he is actually not the one who owns it. His job was to watch over the city and to care for that city until the true king returned one day. When it comes to power, we are all Stewards. Our power does not belong to us. Whether that is the power just to stand up and walk around the room, or the power to decide what your family is going to eat for dinner tonight, or the power to command an army, all the power that we have on earth is a gift. In Genesis, we actually read about the origin of power. The moment where all power comes from is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. All power on earth goes back to that moment. All power on earth has grown out of that moment when God breathed life into the world. 
And because all power has come from God, that means it is not a, a resource to be hoarded, but it is a gift to be stewarded for the glory of God. Because he's the one that the power actually belongs to. And again, the, the Westminster tells us, wherever we have power, whether it be as parents over our children or leaders of an organization or even just having another person, uh, having more talent than some other person in your life, here is how we're supposed to steward the power God's given us. He says, says we are supposed to love, pray for, and bless those under us. We should teach, advise, and warn them approving, praising, and rewarding those who do well while disapproving, blaming, and punishing those who do wrong. We should also protect those under us and provide the things they need for soul and body. Those in authority should also be examples of serious, wise, and holy behavior so as to bring glory to God and honor to themselves and thereby maintain the authority that God has bestowed on them, right? The, the power that God has given them. Now that answer is really helpful. Again, it's helpful because it reminds us that in addition to our power being bestowed on us, in addition to our power coming from God as a gift to be stewarded, it reminds us that power is relational. Have you ever thought about that? All power, by its nature, is relational. When we use power wisely, it leads to other people flourishing. When we use power wrongly, it harms others. But power is never neutral. Power is never inert. All power is Relational. And so that means the, the main way that we steward our power is by using it for the good of our neighbors. I'll say that again. The, the main way that we steward our power is by using it for the good of our neighbors. Amen. And you might think, oh, that sounds simple enough, right? Okay, cool. I got it. I'll do that. Use my power for the good of my neighbors. Great. But it's harder than it sounds. Because to do that, to use your power wisely, you actually have to understand what power you have. And that's not so simple. Because power is complicated. There's all different kinds of power, right? There's an interpersonal kind of power like the power a father has with his son or daughter. There's also an institutional power, like a company might have over an employee. There's a societal power, like what the upper class has that the lower class doesn't. There's also a power that might come from being a part of the right family or having multiple generations living in the same town. In some contexts, there's power that comes from being of a certain race or speaking a certain language. 
I say that because it can be difficult to use our power for good because the amount of power we have isn't always clear. It's not even constant. We all live in this weird blend of power and weakness all the time. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's some places in life where we have power. There's some places in life where we may have commanding voices, where everyone listens to what we have to say, and then there are places in life where we are at the mercy of everyone else. I'll never forget when Ruby was born, our first daughter. Uh, I was just a couple years out of school. We were kind of both starting in our careers, uh, and we qualified for state-subsidized health insurance. And it was a real blessing to us. Uh, it helped us get insurance that we probably couldn't afford at the time. But we found out when we had Ruby that there was a very short window to sign up your dependents into this healthcare system. It was like seven days or something. And I think I found out about it, immediately sent in my form, but it was probably the 10th day. And I got word back from the insurance company that, well, I hadn't done it in time. And so during our uh, delivery, Melissa was covered by insurance, but Ruby was charged $3,000 to be born, which she still owes me, by the way. <laughs> I will never forget the experience of, you know, there was a time when I was, I was already a pastor. I had people that I was teaching, you know, I was leading this church, and I go down to the office at the insurance to plead with this woman to just have some mercy. And of course, she looked at me and didn't care. <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, it's policy. There's nothing I can do. But I left there feeling so weak and so defeated and so powerless. And, and, and my point is this, it's just that power is complex. Power is layered. Power is, it's confusing. But if the power we have has been given to us by God, then this law requires that we do whatever we can to understand what power he's given us. But how do we do that? I think a good first step is that we listen to the voices of people around us. If you are in a job where you have employees, it might be a good idea to sit down with them and, and ask, what do you think of my leadership? How am I doing? If you have children, maybe a good activity this afternoon would be to go through this list and say, what, what, how are we doing as parents? compared to what we just read here. But not just with the people we directly influence. I think we, as Christians, need to honestly listen to the world around us. We should be willing to seek out and hear the voices of people around us who have been historically oppressed, who have been dismissed and marginalized. We should listen to the contents of their complaints. And then we need to honestly consider what obligation 
do we have to use our power to speak on their behalf? This command tells us that it is our obligation to steward the power God has given us. And that means we need to understand the power that we have before we can use it for his glory. So in any area where we find out that we have power, we are meant, just like a father, just like a mother, to use that power not for ourselves, but for the nurture, for the growth of the world around us. That's how we're supposed to deal with our own power. And that brings us to the third question. How does Christ redeem our interaction with power? I wish we could have read through the whole three pages of questions in the Westminster. We did that in prayer meeting. It was a little bit overwhelming. But what you find out if you study this, if you really think about it, is that we are all incredibly guilty when it comes to this commandment. If we are honest, when we have power over us, we kick, we complain, we gripe. <laughs> we don't like people having power over us. And when it comes to our own power, we often misuse it. We often neglect it. We often deny the power that we have. But Christ, Jesus, he's the fulfillment of this fifth commandment. Nobody ever used power like Jesus did. Jesus, he was the incarnate king of the universe. He was God made flesh. He was infinitely powerful, and yet he did not wield his power like a weapon, but instead he put it aside for the redemption of the world. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you know how he did that? Well, he did it first by doing what we couldn't. Jesus was the perfect child. When Jesus was baptized, do you remember the heavens opened and God declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. His entire life, Jesus brought honor. He brought glory to his heavenly father in everything he did. But on the cross, the perfect child was cut off from his father so that you and I could become sons and daughters. He was cast out so that you could be brought in. Jesus, instead of using his power to punish weak sinners like you and me, scripture tells us that he became weak so that we could be made strong. He died so that we could live. That's the glorious 
stuff, right? That's the good news that, that we call the gospel. But if you pay attention to that message, you'll also see it tells us one last thing about power. It tells us that power is not a limited resource. See, the world is going to tell you to, to amass all the power that you can. Stock up. Build up your empire. Build up your kingdom. Build up your name. Get it all for yourself. But the gospel tells us that the way to grow power is to give it away. And you see it in the family, right? Don't you? When you impart wisdom, when you impart knowledge, when you impart discipline and training on your children, do you all of a sudden have less of those things? No, of course not. There's more in the world. You see it in the workplace. When you train someone, when you mentor someone, when you raise someone up and give them power, do you all of a sudden have less power? No, there's more. And when we go out into this world and we empower our neighbors who are oppressed, who are overlooked, it's the same way. There is not all of a sudden less power. There is more. And that's the blessing of the fifth commandment. That you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's not a personal promise. It's a corporate promise. It's not you singular. It's y'all, plural, right? That we would all, as a community, live long. All of us. That when we use power well, the whole world benefits. Everyone gets lifted up. So ultimately, this isn't just about treating our parents well. But it is about seeking the peace and the prosperity of wherever God has placed us. It's about learning how, how we as individuals, how we as center church can humbly steward what God has given us for his glory, for the joy of Mooresville. And so this week as I close, I, I just want to encourage you, I want to invite you to join me in praying that God would open our eyes, that he would help us to see the power we have, that he would help us to see where we are under the power of others and how we could respond to all of this for his glory and the good of our community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not treated us as our sins deserve. We recognize that we are disobedient children. We are petulant. We are uh, wayward. And yet you and your love have not stopped pursuing us. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus whose perfect record stands over us. And we thank you that because of that, right now, to every person in this room who has come to you for salvation, you look down and you say, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Lord, would you teach us how to live in light of 
that pleasure? Would you teach us to be confident in your authority in our lives and not try to hoard our own? And Lord, would you use us to impact the people of this great city, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts to leave this morning, let's stand together and sing hymn number 576.